Okay, I'm going to read from 2 Chronicles 2, sorry, 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 to 25. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazizon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and the little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph. And he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeroel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. 
have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendour of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. This is the word of the Lord. Arguably the greatest uh, musical composition of all time uh, is George Frederick Handel's Clock Around the Clock. No. Messiah. You may know the story of Messiah. Um, 1741, he'd been a fairly successful composer, but he was 56, near retirement, and through a a series of events, someone gave him a libretto of the life of Christ, the whole thing in Scripture. So he locked himself in his home in Brook Street, London, and for 24 days, hardly stopping to eat or drink, like a man consumed, he wrote the whole thing through to the orchestration. 24 days, he wrote Messiah. Uh, and when I asked about the experience, he said he likened it to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 when he's taken up to, th to the third heaven. And Handel said, whether I was in the body or out of the body when I wrote it, I know not. And one time a servant walked into the room to get him to, to beg him to eat something, and there was Handel, Handel just with tears running down his cheeks. And he said, I had to think I saw heaven itself and the great God Almighty. It just, he was transported, he was transfixed, he was just passionate about this piece of music. Um, and you may know the story, when it was first performed in London, and they came to the Hallelujah Chorus, the king, George, I think George II, I think, was just drawn to his feet irresistibly. So now the customer, when we sing the Hallelujah Chorus, you all stand up. King of kings and Lord of lords, for the Lord our God Almighty reigneth. It is fantastic. Isn't it? Uh, I, I go to a church in Melbourne, which is traditional choral music. And from time to time when I preach, the choir always sing an anthem after you preach. From time to time they sing the hallelujah chorus after I preach. It does not get better than that as a preacher. To finish with that, wow, I said, I can die now, Lord, I can go to heaven. I preach the hallelujah chorus. But it shows, I think, to us just the power of music. If people leave church, not infrequently, it's because of the music. 
I met a couple a few years ago at Bible College. Uh, they had an older couple. The church got a new pastor who threw out all the hymns, just chucked them all out. They said, we just feel completely disenfranchised. We, we're nurtured on these hymns. They've left the church and have not been back to church since. That's two years. Godly couple. So hurt by that. So hurt. Now, I should say today, I'm not, I've got no axe to grind. I'm not a muso. You know, sometimes if I'm a muso, I'm just banging away. I'm not a muso. I just, I've seen the impact of singing in people's lives. And I read the Bible. And in the middle of the Bible is a hymn book. So I just, I'm just persuaded of the importance of singing, uh, both practically and theologically, for God's people. So in this session about the power of the song, and turn to this lovely passage from 2 Chronicles, which again, you, don't, you rarely hear preached on, or it's rarely read. Um, on this chapter, a guy called Jehoshaphat's on the throne. Uh, he's the fourth descendant of King Solomon, and a good guy. Unlike many back then, a good guy. In fact, Kings writes about him. He gets 10 verses in Kings. It says, In everything he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. What a great epitaph, isn't it? What a great epitaph. I'd love that on my, my tombstone. So, Kings gives him 10 verses. Chronicles gives him four chapters. Chronicles are saying, here's a guy, look at listen to, learn from, and be like him. He's a really good guy. It's around 850 BC, near the end of his reign. Things are tough. Three neighboring tribes, the Moabites, the Edomites, and the Meonites have formed an alliance and are about to attack Jerusalem. And he's outnumbered, outresourced. It's looking really, really grim. It's gonna, like it's going to end on a bad note. So Joshua does two things, which we can learn from. The first thing he does of course, is he prays. Now, you may not know 2 Chronicles, but there's one verse you'll know which is very famous. 2 Chronicles, anybody know the one I'm thinking of? 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, which reads, When I shut up the heavens so that there's no ruin, so, so, so there's no rain, sorry, no rain or communal or command, locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among the people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. That's a key verse in this two-volume book. When things are tough, when you're over your head, when you feel like you, just, you can't cope, you're stressed out, you go, what do I do? Here's what you do. You turn to the Lord and you pray, and you'll hear from heaven. So he has this wonderful, wonderful prayer, which he prays. Hang on, excuse me, I just uh, lost my note here. Here it is. And he, he prays in verse 12, Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you, for we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What a great model. When things are tough, we've got no resources, turn to him and pray. So the first thing he does is pray. The next thing he does is sing. Gets the army together and puts in the front line the singers. 
How weird is that? What about the archers or the, the charioteers? Now, the singers, which isn't that odd, actually. We, we have regimental bands, don't we? Who lead armies into war, both ancient and modern. That's what we do, because, you see, songs can stir the soul. I went last night to the, watch the Queensland Reds. Not a happy night. The crowd didn't sing. It wasn't a murmur. I wonder if the crowd had sung. Really, it could be a different story. I was born in Liverpool, England. Um, I'm a massive fan of the Liverpool Football Club. Massive fan. Anfield, 54,000 people. Their theme song is what? You'll never walk alone. What? I mean, that's, a, that's a heart jerker. That. Imagine you're down 2-0. The crowd says you never walk alone. You beat Man United 5-2. That's, that's what happens. That's, that songs have that power. The, the, the beating of the drums, uh, the, the, the blasting of the trumpets, and the wailing of the bagpipes, it just sips the backbone, gives resolve and passion and strength. Where there was fear, there's now boldness. Songs do that. So Jehoshaphat is wise to put at the front line, not the archers, not the soldiers, not the charioteers, but the singers, the guitarists, the harpists, the trumpeteers, and they lead them into battle. That's, that's what songs do. They stiffen us and give us resolve. Back in 2001, uh, in New York, when the Twin Towers were destroyed, after that, the presidents, Bush, Jr., Sr., Clinton, Carter, and Ford, went to a funeral, a prayer and remembrance service. And they sang at the service the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. The hymn was written by a woman called Judia... Ju Julia Ward Howe, during the Civil War, 19, uh, 1864. She walked into a Union camp and then was singing a song called John, John Brown's body lies a molded in the grave. John, Grau, John Brown had been an uh, abolitionist, uh, a Negro who'd led a rebellion, been, been hung for that. And they're singing this tune, this song. And someone said to Julia, you, you write songs, why don't write a song to that tune for our soldiers to fight in the war? Here's what happened in her words. I went to bed and slept as usual. But I woke the next morning in the grey of the early dawn and to my astonishment found that the wished-for lines were arranging themselves in my brain. I lay quite still until the last verse had completed itself in my thoughts then hastily arose, saying to myself, I shall lose this if I don't write it down immediately. Having completed this, I lay down and fell asleep, but not before feeling that something of importance had happened to me. The Atlantic Monthly bought the song for $4. It became the rallying cry for the victorious Union Army. It became a song to rally the soldiers in World War II. 
It became the anthem for the civil rights movement in the 1960s. He sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift my soul to answer him. Be jubilant my feet. Our God is marching on. So there's nothing unusual in the strategy of having at the front of the army so, uh, singers, harpists, musicians to lead them into battle, stiffen their resolve, give them strength, and see the Lord win the victory. It's a great story, I think, of the power of the song. Now, how do we apply that today? If you plan a mission at Ann Street, do we march down Ann Street singing songs to the crowds at Ann Street? As you said, missions off to Cambodia, do they march into the terminal singing songs? Now, you can't go straight from 850 BC to 2023. I'd find nowhere in the Bible Paul and Silas going into Corinth or Philippi singing songs. They don't do that. But one time, I do recall them singing songs. At an event something like what Jehoshaphat faced. They're in Philippi. They see a woman called Lydia converted. They've cast out demons from a possessed woman. They're arrested. They've been flogged. They're in prison. Not some nice cell with a decent meal, but a foul-smelling, awful place. Rat-infested. Rat in, the, in, the, in the inner prison, in the solitary confinement, with their feet in stocks, so the legs are cramping, and sold all around them. They're, they're, in, they're in agony, which may um, account for the fact they're still awake at midnight. And what do they do, Paul and Silas, in agony, facing an uncertain future? They could be execute, executed tomorrow or flogged again. What do they do? They sing hymns. They sing hymns to strengthen themselves. That's, that's what people have done in times of hardship. If you read the Psalms, so many of David's Psalms are Psalms written at crisis times. At one point, Saul's soldiers surrounded the house to kill him. David sang, Psalm 59, How they lie in wait for me. They return at evening like snarling dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. I love the story of a man called Chang Shen, or Blind Chang. Um, he was a, lived in Manchuria uh, at the time of the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, he was an awful guy, he was a drunkard, a wife beater, a thief, and was struck blind. And the people thought that was the, the, the judgment of the gods upon him. So he went to a mission hospital some miles away, saw a doctor who gave him back his sight and led him to Christ. And Chang said, will you baptize me? He said, no, not now. You go home. I'll come in three months' time. If you're still a Christian, I'll baptize you then. So three months later, the doctor went to his village. And on the way, he met people who'd come to Christ through Chang Shen. And he baptized him. The man lost his sight again and was blind, and traveled around Manchuria, this blind evangelist, just seeing people come to Christ. Then the Boxer Rebellion hit, which is deeply anti-Western, anti-Christian. They killed many Chinese believers. At one point, they, they rounded up to kill 50 believers. 
And someone said, if you kill them, then Chang Shen will just convert 50 more. They said, we'll bring him here. He said, I'll gladly go. He went to them. They took him into the pagan temple. They said, bow down and worship the gods. He refused. He said, bow down and worship the gods or we'll kill you. So he bowed down and worshipped Christ. They bound him head and foot, put him on a cart to the cemetery to kill him. On the way in the cart, he sang a song he'd first learnt as a young convert. The song was, Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gates are open wide, he will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Jesus loves me, he will stay, close beside me all the way, if I love him when I die, he will take me home on high. And with one swift movement of the sword, they severed his head from his body. But he went to his death singing a wonderful song. You may know the story of Jim Elliot and the missionaries who went to Ecuador to work amongst the, the cannibals, the Alka Indians, to reach them with the gospel and were martyred. According to Jim's wife, the last thing they did together was to sing a hymn. Luther's great hymn, We Rest on Thee. Sorry, uh, we go in faith, our own great weakness feeling, and needing more each day thy grace to know. Yet from our hearts, a song of triumph pealing, we rest on thee, and in thy name we go. When God's people faced overwhelming odds again and again and again, they turn to God both in prayer and in praise and have endured. Do they recognize the power of the song? Let me say a couple more things. One thing that's great about singing, about congregational singing, is it's something we do together as a church. I think that's the great appeal of carol singing. Carol's my candlelight. People love to get together and sing songs they love together. The sad thing now is in most churches we do very little together. I go to a church in Melbourne, which is traditional Anglican. It's uh, liturgical. It's choral music. We do a lot together. We greet each other together. The Lord be with you and also with you. I quite like that. We say prayers together at the Lord's Prayer. We say a psalm together. We say the creed together. We say responses together. And we sing together. And we remind ourselves this isn't just about me and God. It's about us and God. Now that's gone. Now I know you, you say the creed here once a month, uh, but that's by and large gone now in most churches. The only thing we do together is sing. And my concern is we're losing even that. As we're not singing. And in, in part because we sing songs that are not singable or have a music team, praise God, not like your wonderful team, who are so loud 
they drown us out. And we give up because we can't compete. So that's why singing is so wonderful because we do it together. So it's great when you were singing that last hymn, I couldn't hear the song leaders, which is actually fantastic, though they're great. I didn't come here to hear them. I've come to hear you and to sing together. So let me say a few things about song leading. It's not meant to be critical at all. I just think it's a wonderful ministry. I liken the song leaders to John the Baptist. That is, they must decrease so that the people of God increase. Their job is to get us singing, and once that's done, like we saw modeled before, they virtually disappear. Because that's it. it's all about us and our singing. They're like the John the Baptist of the church. And um, I also call them, actually, the congregation's other preachers. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we hear two sermons in every church, one from the pulpit, one from, the, from the, the music team, two sermons, and the one with music is very, very powerful. But they, they, they teach us, they're the other preachers. So therefore, the songs you select, the songs maybe you write, the songs you lead us in, should be songs that teach us well. Um, someone said to me a while ago about the two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. John, the great preacher, Charles, the great songwriter. But mind you, I think Charles would say, I'm not just a songwriter, I'm a preacher too. The minds are sermons with music. So we're both preachers. Here's the interesting thing. 300 years later, almost, almost no one reads the sermons of John Wesley, but the world still sings the sermons of Charles Wesley. So, who was the greater preacher? Well, both were great preachers. To musos, let me say a few things. First of all, as you lead us, look at us. And I, I train preachers, and I give advice on how to deliver a talk, and the first and most important thing is what I call, what's called eye contact. I need to look at you to make sure you're listening and not dozing off or getting restless. Eye contact is so important. So I have a full text here, believe it or not, which is memorized so I can look at you. So that if you're not listening, what can I do to get you to listen? Well, I can, I can move from behind the lectern and get up close just to, what can I do? And a song leader needs to know whether you're singing. And if you're not, ask yourself for himself, why not? And what can I do? I went to an event some time ago, a kind of youth event uh, in a church, and we sang a song, and for some reason the words didn't come up on the screen. It was a new song, didn't come up on the screen. We were halfway through the third verse before they realized that <laughs> nobody was singing. Halfway through the third verse, and they're the only ones singing, because they're all looking down or whatever, having their special worship time with the Lord, whatever. No, your job is to get us to sing, so look at us. As, as you guys did, to ensure we're singing. And I, I've, I, I, I can't sing. I'm not better leading singing. And I stop the people. So hang on. Because what, what, what? To, to endure a song is awful, isn't it? You can't, I can't wait for this to end. Stop. Do you know it? 
Okay, let me teach it all. Let's pick one we do know. So just rather than labor through an unsingable song, look at them. And so you can help us to, to sing. That's the first thing. Secondly, don't just say, well, now I've got to sing a new song. Teach us a new song. Teach us, help us, you know, if, we, if it's a bit hard to sing, teach us how to sing it. Sing maybe the first verse four. Just, just, just teach us how to do it, to do it well. And, and you, you do this really well. You don't need to use every instrument all the time. I, said with, I meet music groups with, with a large orchestra, all played full volume the whole time. Someone has said this. One mistake music teams make is to think that every instrument should, needs to be used with every song. Some songs should get the whole kitchen sink. But just because you have a drum, piano, guitar, bass, lyre, zither, flute, chicken shaker, banjo, cello, and djembe, up there doesn't mean you have to use them all. You don't. Or sometimes turn down the amplifier, or just let us sing a cappella. That's so good, a cappella. Now again, you guys are great. I love this electric organ, the little thing. Fantastic, fantastic. Because uh, too many drowns us out. Sorry, guys. Just trying to get my notes. I've got a bit disorganised. There's one other thing I wanted to say. Here it is. Um, yeah. And sing songs. We all know. I, I, again, I love today where we've begun with an old hymn, end with a modern song. I was at a church camp two weeks ago, and a bit like this, all in from all three services, nine o'clock, mid morning, after evening service. And we sang songs before the talk, and the morning service has organ, piano, and their own song leaders. The mid-morning service has the, the drums, guitar, and their song leaders. So before the talk, the morning team got up with the organ, we sang hymns. After the talk, the young team got up and sang their songs with the guitars. It was terrific, and it was loving. Those who like the older songs kind of put up with the younger ones and vice versa. It's just, we just love each other when we do that. Often what happens, you get the young people leave the singing and they just sing the songs that they know and love. And the older people feel left out. And by the way, if you're listening on, uh, on live stream and you write songs, don't mess with the old hymns. Am I right? Don't, they're great as they are. They're great as they are. Like Amazing Grace. It was such, it was, it was inadequate. We had to, we've had to ask, in, include a chorus to make it better. So we now sing, don't we? What's, what's the song we sing? My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Saviour has ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. They're great words. It didn't, it didn't need that. We love the old hymns as they are. So my advice is, leave them alone. Just sing them as they are. And that way you, you love each other, both young and old. Your ministry is so important. So important, and I think undervalued. You're the prophets. You're the other preachers. You bless us enormously. So, so keep it up and do, keep doing a great job. To God's honor and praise. Well, we're going to sing together. So you oldies will... 
Come with me down memory lane. You younger folk, I just regret not being alive in the 1970s, but can't be helped. We sang a little chorus. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Remember that? Let's just sing it through once, then we're going to do it as a round. How good is that? How good is that? So who knows this? Who knows the song? Oh, fantastic. So I can't sing, remember? You've got to help me out here. On the count of three. One, two, three. Rejoice. or you can clap. So we're going to do a round. Okay, and I'm going to leave that. So this group, that group in there, and let's say down to the, the fours, you're going to lead us. And then from the fives onwards, you're going to come in at my, at my movement, okay? And we'll just go until, I don't know, until what, what time of the year? Dinner? Six o'clock? Until around six o'clock. Until I stop it. Okay, you ready? Good? Stand up. Okay, guys, let's leave us. One, two, three. Better. Come on, better. Call a thing he said. Gee, we enjoy singing, rejoice. <laughs> okay, let me pray. And, that, and the, the dog wagged his tails is the whole thing. He had a blast. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is so good to, uh, to enjoy the gift you've given us, to rejoice in you always, to re- rejoice in you both in the lives we live to your honor and glory, in, in talking about Jesus to your, your fame and honor and in singing your praises, for you are the great God who's deserving of all, deserving of all honour, praise, glory, might, strength. For you gave us Jesus. And the Bible tells us so. And we thank you for him. Amen. Okay. Over to you to lead.